that said, Dan, we got Tim on the line here. What do you want to ask him? But I hear that most KPs will require a financial commitment from everyone on the GP team as a proxy for demonstrating commitment. What have you guys found about that? Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think it all just comes down to negotiation and there's a billion ways to set up any kind of uh, partnership, right? So, you know, commercial real estate and specifically multifamily is a team sport. There's no two ways about it. There's a ton of people that have strengths. With that being said, you know, I, I know somebody who is a, a marketing uh, guru expert and she gets her GP by doing marketing and social media and um, automations and, you know, um, all that stuff. So I would just say that anything's negotiable within real estate. There's always a way to set up a partnership. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital. I'm super excited for today's show. It's another one of our Ask the Expert episodes. Uh, two great people on the line with us. We have Tim Lyons and Dan Bradenberg. So first off, you know, Tim, you're up first. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me on the show. Super happy to be here. But yeah, I mean, I got into real estate like a lot of people because, you know, it was one of those things that I always knew that I should be doing. It's one of those things that I never thought that I could necessarily do because I didn't know how to get involved. I saw a lot of people, whether it was social media or friends and family, you know, have some success with real estate. Um, but in my mind, I think real estate had a marketing problem to me. Real estate investing was like, you know, get into real estate investing, go to a seminar, uh, and then you're driving a Maserati within six months. And <laughs> I just, um, like, that was always in the back of my mind. And then also growing up in the greater New York City area, it just didn't seem possible to even purchase a single family property and be able to cash flow. And, you know, the more I started to ask questions to different people, you know, if anybody ever said they were a real estate investor, I was like their best friend for the next 30 minutes. You know, a lot of times people would say, well, I bought this uh, property in New York City or just outside of New York City. And, you know, I pay X amount per month just to float it. And, you know, that's what, that's what real estate investing was to me. And that's why it yeah. seems so unattainable for a long, long time. Um, so, you know, I go to college, just like a good boy, right? I get good grades and I go to a good school and I uh, get a good job. And I actually love my job. I am thrilled to be a New York City firefighter. I actually work as a lieutenant now in right. the borough of Queens. And I've been doing that 16 years. It's been a lifelong dream of mine. You know, it kind of started when I was eight or nine years old. I had a police scanner that Santa Claus bought for Christmas one year, <laughs> and I attached it to my bike. And I used to like race all over town trying to chase the fire engines. And I never really grew out of that. 9-11 mm -hmm. um, happened. And I had a, you know, um, I was a uh, sophomore in college. And my uncle was a captain in the New York City Fire Department. He was buried under one of the towers. And Ooh. luckily, he was deemed the one of the last people to be pulled out alive. 
Wow. Uh, he's still with us today. And I think that day, on top of everything else that happened that day, I just really told myself, I, you know, at the time I wanted to be a doctor, except that I was pre-med for about 15 minutes uh, because that's how hard it was. And I wasn't ready yep. to be a student. But, you know, that day I told myself, you know, I don't care what I do. I'm going to finish college and I'm going to be a New York City firefighter. And I graduated on May 15th of 05 and May 31st of 05. I'm in the academy in New York City. So it's funny how that happens. Um, but yeah, so that, I mean, it's been a great career. I've worked yeah. in some of the busiest firehouses in the city. I'm addicted to the action. My mm-hmm. wife hates that. You know, she wants me to go to some cozy place and kind of put my feet up, I guess. But yeah. uh, I'm just not. I'm not ready for that, you know, but like most firefighters, you know, a lot of us have second jobs because we work 24 hours on, then we have maybe two, three, sometimes four days off. So a lot of guys can't sit still like myself and they're plumbers or they're roofers or contractors. And I really don't have any of those skills. So I actually went back to to nursing school Mm -hmm. uh, to become a registered nurse. And a lot of guys, you know, in my firehouse, there was four of them who were nurses. They had the nice cars, their wives didn't work. Uh, They always had steady, you know, side work if they wanted it. So that made sense to me. And at the time I was debating whether to get my real estate license or go to nursing school. And I think my limiting beliefs and my scarcity mindset at the time was such that I wanted to get that paycheck every two weeks. I wanted to put my hours in and I wanted to have that known and, and safe and secure paycheck. And, you know, listen, everything happens for a reason, but you know, over time, I ended up having three girls. They're 10, seven, yep. and two now. And I was working 70, 80, 90 hours a week up until maybe a year and a half ago. And my wife was feeling it. I was feeling it. My girls were feeling it. And I said, something has to change. And that kind of goes into my why, right? Why I did this. But, you yeah. know, real estate was always a thing that I wanted to learn more about. And then I finally just took the gloves off. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad on the beach on summer vacation, uh, you know, one uh, one summer, two, two, summer of 19. And yep. from then on out, I got into real estate. Nice, nice. Now, I, I got to say that there's a lot of things we have in common. I was also a college student on 9-11 and I had no real plans to go active duty in the military. So I made a career shift, you know, the moment I saw those those towers go down, I was much further away from the action than you. But uh, so I got to say thank you for doing what you do. I mean, fire department in New York City is probably one of the toughest jobs, you know, there is. Definitely understand, you know, your your wife's point of view as well, you know, wanting you to have that nice, safe job where you're not running into burning buildings. But I uh, appreciate what you do and uh, happy, happy to hear your story. That's 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 a lot of a lot of goodness. So so you rich Thanks. dad, poor dad, jump into to jump into real estate. Take take it from there. Tell us how how you proceeded, Aaron, how you started getting uh, apartments under contract and closed. Yeah, so uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad stayed in my firehouse overnight bag for over a year, and I never read it. And I finally brought it on vacation. I read it in two days. I couldn't put it down. And just like a lot of real estate investors, I kind of have that similar you know, story with Rich Dad Poor Dad. I typed on the beach that day, and I said, babe, I said, I'm going to be a real estate investor. And she knows that I can't sit still. She knows I'm always on to the next thing. And she's always been supportive. Mm-hmm. And she goes, you know, sure, Tim, you know, whatever you say, you know. Uh, by November of 19, I had a three-family property under contract, and that's how I got my initial start into real estate. You know, we started, I did a little reno, we did a new roof or whatever, you know, and we started cash flowing, you know, for the first, you know, a couple of months. And, you know, we had that little, uh, that, that proof of concept started to creep into not only my mind, but my wife's mind. And yeah. we're like, wait a minute, all right, this thing works. We did a little better on our taxes that year. 
And, you know, we said, all right, well, what is it going to take for us to, you know, attain some level of passive income or, you know, quote unquote, financial freedom? And I kind of hate that term, but, you know, what is it going to take? And it was going to take like 20 of those three family properties. And that wasn't going to happen because <laughs> yep. not that it wasn't going to happen, but I wasn't, it wasn't sexy enough. The carrot wasn't in front of me to the point where I said, I'm going to make that happen because, you know, by and large, these buildings are built in 1900 or 1910 yep. or 1920. I mean, and me personally, I, I only had capital really for like one more similar type purchase. And then I was going to be tapped out for a while. So it just wasn't moving the needle for me. Although I'm not taking anything away from the three families or the duplexes or the quads or the single family space, there's value there, but I just wanted more. And I yeah. had been down the rabbit hole of podcasts and books about multifamily and I kept on hearing about it, but it, feel, it felt like something that wasn't for me. It was spreadsheets. It was team. It was boots on the ground. And I'm up here in New York and I'm saying to myself, how am I ever going to buy something in, you know, Florida or Texas or Arizona? Like, how am I going to do that? It just seems so unattainable. And I also heard about people getting mentors and coaches Mm -hmm. and spending all sorts of money on that. And I always kind of joke around that I have a healthy dose of skepticism baked into my DNA being from New York, you know? Yeah. And I was like, there's no way, there's no way I'm going to pay for a coach. Like, why would I ever pay for a coach? I could figure it out on my own. I'll ask somebody, I'll go to a meetup. And finally I talked to my wife about it. And I talked to my brother, Greg, who was my business partner. And it just made sense, right? If you want to mm-hmm. do something, especially while you're a W2 worker and you want to, you want to do something that badly, you got to go find somebody who's successful at it, who's willing to teach you, mm-hmm. whether that's paying for them, interning for them, working for free, whatever that might be. You know, there's a term out there adding value to somebody. I mean, that is a real thing. And oh, finally, we just said, let's just pay for the coaching. And that's what we did. You know, we, yeah. we called around a bunch of different places. We finally settled on a platform that was just, you know, it just felt like it was home kind of. And mm-hmm. we haven't looked back. Yeah. You know, and I, I made the same move and I, I had the same skepticism, you know, went many years, went to a lot of these conferences where they talk about coaching, but end of the day, I, I really settled. And my, my wife made this point, you know, we looked at the price tag and my wife just said, that's cheaper than a master's degree, you know? And I started thinking about it and I, I started equating coaching to the master's degree. It's a hundred percent focused on exactly what you want to do. And it's cheaper than a master's degree. And for me, that was just like, you know, one of those little light bulb moments, you know, I I think our educational system doesn't necessarily prepare us for the exact job we want to do. And coaching does, you know, coaching is laser focused. Yeah. Laser focused on exactly what you're trying to do. And in this case, multifamily. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Love the investment you made in yourself and uh, please keep, keep going. Tell, tell a story, keep, keep getting into, you know, yeah. So, um, so, so listen to this now, now it's March of yeah. 2020. I'm, uh, it's like March 1st and we're yep. hearing about COVID we're, we're seeing TV. Uh, the streets oh, of yeah. Italy are, are empty. Uh, people are hanging out their balconies in Italy, singing songs. And we're like, man, what the heck is going on over, uh, you know, over in Italy. And yeah. all of a sudden I'm joining the coaching program and getting into multifamily real estate right at the beginning of COVID. Um, It was probably the worst time, but you know what? Like people in this space will always tell you there's never a great time to get started, right? If you're always going to wait for that one little entry point, you know, it's like buying stocks. Oh, I'm going to wait for the dip. You know, like 
you're never really going to go in at the right time. So like, you just have to take action. You have to get started. And that's how I kind of viewed my entry into multifamily and the coaching program. So I'm at the firehouse, COVID comes, I work in a very poor neighborhood, people stacked on top of people and the COVID goes wild, right? So we're doing CPR for 24 hours straight for about two months. Every single run by and large is CPR, whether you're 30 or you're 90 and nobody's making it. You know, at the time I have three little girls and my wife's like, dude, like, should you even be coming home? Like, we don't know a lot about this. Yeah. You know, it was very kind of emotional type time in our, in our house. So I moved out to my mother-in-law's house and she moved into my house to help my wife with the brand new baby and everything. And for eight weeks, I stayed away from my kids. And instead of going into like a dark place and being mm -hmm. upset about it, which I was obviously, I just crushed through all the material I could up at 5 a.m., in bed at midnight, you know, finally get the courage to call brokers, call bankers, call lenders, call everybody. If, you know, if, you're, if your name and number was out there on the World Wide Web, you were getting a phone call from <laughs> me, from this, from this first-time investor. Um, right. And all of a sudden, like, I guess I started getting deals sent to me. And I remember telling my mentor, I'm like, yo, this works. And he's like, no kidding. Like, you just got to, you know, you got to do the action. You got to take the action and, and make the calls. So... I got into my first deal um, with my deal coach, um, you know, with my, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the Jake and Gino program and my, my deal coach was a New Yorker and we just kind of, we just kind of hit it off with each other. And he gave me the opportunity of a lifetime. He was doing a syndication on a 43 unit property. And he said, Tim, you know, I was always asking him, how can I add value to you? How can I add value to you? Yeah. What, you know, what do you need me to do? I'll mow the lawn. I'll do whatever I got to do. How can I add value? And he finally, you know, he asked me if I wanted to come on board and kind of see mm -hmm. the back end of the syndication process. Because quite honestly, when I joined the program, it wasn't for syndication. It was to do 6, 12, 20, 30 unit properties with my brother and my dad and maybe like another, you know, partner. Um, mm -hmm. Syndication was not even on the radar. So once I kind of saw how it worked and I was just, I fell in love with the whole process, number one, number two. Yeah. Um, it gave me a chance to come out of my comfort zone and see if I could raise a little bit of money to, to help the deal along. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if I could raise, you know, $10, 10,000. I had no idea what I could raise. And we ended up raising about 150,000 for that first deal. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't believe it. And that was really, you know, and Michael Blanc always talks about the law of the first deal. And th that is true. Like, cause mm -hmm. the minute you're on the map, you know, now you're on the map and people want to know how you did it. And then the next deal comes along, hey, let's work together, you know, and that's really how that snowball kind of started. So I'll throw it yeah. back to you, Brian, see what you think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot a lot of goodness there. I mean, first, first of all, the law of the first deal, you know, we found that to be absolutely true. You know, brokers who wouldn't pay attention to us prior to that first deal getting across the finish line, now all of a sudden they knew us, you know, and it's just like, oh, hey, I heard you guys closed on that deal in, in Spartanburg. Like, yeah, that was us, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. completely different conversation. But, you know, you saw an opportunity, you jumped on it, you know, you, you raised some money. And you know, I assume that sets you up for, for something bigger and better afterwards. Yeah. So we, um, so we did another two deals. We did 144 units in Greenville, South Carolina, and then we did um, 148 on an A-class property in Sarasota, Florida. And this okay. was all like really networking, right? We're, we're in a bunch of different masterminds. Uh, at this point, it's, it's hardcore COVID, right? So no one's meeting up yep. and we're doing, you know, I'm on Zoom calls, probably like you guys until midnight every night. And those organic relationships kind of led to those two, the next two properties. Mm -hmm. So by November of 
2020, Greg and I were like, look, you know, I'm in, you know, the New York City area. Greg is down in Virginia. We're never going to be boots on the ground. We're not going to be the construction team, you know, so what do we have to offer? What's going to secure our spot on the bench so that we can, you know, play the game? And it was to, to us, it was capital raising. Yeah. And you know, I just think, you know, with our connections growing up where we did, and I think, you know, Greg played college basketball and, you know, I, I still work in New York City. I, we, we just have the means to raise capital, but we wanted to do it in a way that mm-hmm. was not going to get us jammed up. Right. I mean, let's be honest. You can't just raise capital and then move on to the next deal. You got to have a material participation in mm-hmm. the process. Right. So right. we had been introduced to a broker dealer who's involved in the multifamily space. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of new to us. You know, we had a bunch of calls and we finally said, you know, like this is this is kind of made for us. Mm-hmm. So what we had to do, we had to take a bunch of exams with FINRA and the SEC. We had an onboard with a, a broker, which is basically uh, a platform that brings together vetted sponsors and vetted mm-hmm. capital raisers who are licensed. They're called registered representatives. And now we have a whole compliance team. We have a whole legal team. We have a whole underwriting team, which kind of is a value add to our investors because oh, yeah. not only does the operator underwrite the deal and you know they do the due diligence, right? Now our team, once they have another contract, we'll shoot out to the property. We'll walk the property. We have a report done. We have underwriting done. Legal is double checked, and then only then do we put out the the deal to our our investors. Um, so it's it's a kind of a unique way to be involved in multifamily. But for what we're doing right now with our W two jobs and having the network that we have, it just made a lot of sense for us to kind of go down that route. Yeah. And it's, it's the safer route, you know, as far as compliance goes, because you're going to be hundred percent compliant with, with the certifications that you have. So, you know, and, and from a, from a sponsor perspective, you know, if you're coming in with those, those certifications, it, it's a lot easier for bringing someone like you on board. So anyway, great, great story. I love it. We, we've got to be uh, moving on here, here real quick. So you briefly touched your big burning. Why can, if you were to distill that down into, you know, a couple of sentences, What's your big burning why? Is that code for stop talking so much, Brian? No, no, no. That's not code for. I mean, I, <laughs> no, I can I'm listen to you talk for the next hour. I mean, fascinating story. A lot of good stuff there. No, Just, uh, um, I, I know we, we both have uh, we both have hard stops at the end of the hour. So yeah, um, cool. No, the why is really it really comes down to this. Like once I realized that time was my most valuable, you know, asset mm-hmm. and I have three little girls and I want to spend as much time as with them as possible. Right. You know, when, when I had a little kids and people told me, you know, spend every minute you can with them, that goes quick. And I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you kind of hear that from everybody, but all of a sudden now I have a 10 year old, I blinked and I have a 10 year old, you know, and, you know, in our line of work, you know, and I'm sure Brian, you can relate to this in a huge way. There's people who, do, who don't come home at night. You know, there's people who get maimed and hurt and, you know, there's cancer in the fire service that is skyrocketing, literally out of control. You know, for a long time, they talked about, oh, it's 9-11 related. You know, yeah, yeah, he was on for 9-11. He got cancer. And all of a sudden we're finding the young guys who were probably uh, teenagers or less on 9-11. These are the guys getting cancer, neck cancer, you know, colon cancer, this cancer, that cancer. And 
you know, once that started happening, I said, holy cow, I have to figure out a way that maybe I can leave the fire service after 20 years, you know, with my pension, God willing, it's still there and still solvent and my benefits. Right. And then do something else. But I have to figure that out now because I want to be able to hit the ground running. Um, so I think a combination of all that stuff and don't get me wrong. I love what I do, but I do recognize the inherent danger. Um, every time I kind of get in the car and go to work, you know, so without being too dramatic about that, it, it kind of played into my why. So it's really, it's not, it's financial. Yes, but it's really about time and health and just being able to have optionality in, in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Be, be careful. I, I blinked and my oldest is 22 and you know, number my second daughter's 19, but yeah, definitely, definitely want to spend the time with your little kids while you can. Uh, um, we have a, uh, let's see, 10 year old, eight year old and a daughter who turns six tomorrow. So, you know, it's, it's, it's brand new with them. So anyway, love it, love everything about it. a lot of things in common with, you know, like you said, you know, very similar career paths in a lot of ways where there's a lot of danger. There's a lot of people who just don't come home, but, uh, um, and there's a lot of time away from the family, but anyway, what's next for you? Yeah. What's next for us is, um, you know, we're finally at the place where we can, you know, take a step back and really drive or really dive, I should say, dive into our marketing and really kind of telling our story and getting it out there because for the longest time, it's just, it's us, right. It's us doing social media, it's us doing podcasts. And we just we just started our podcast. We have three episodes in the bank. We haven't launched yet, but um, you know, watch out for that. Um, we're starting a YouTube channel and you know, we're just getting dialed in. We're trying to, you know, bring the business yeah. to the next level. So that's really kind of what we're focused on for the next at least two quarters. What's the uh, podcast gonna be named and when's it gonna air? Yeah, it's called the Passive Income Brothers Podcast. It's uh, myself and my brother Greg, and uh, we're basically going to, you know, have you know other investors who have you know been on our journey come tell their story and really get out there. And because uh, I just I think that real estate has a marketing problem, uh, like we talked about, and I think that you know once people know what's available to them, I think a lot more people would love to be involved in some of the stuff that you know we're all doing. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know you know, all the benefits. And I think what you said earlier, you know, the, there's a real perception that real estate investing is go to that conference. And three weeks later, you're driving the Maserati, you know, which, um, anybody with, you know, half a brain is going to look at that and say, it's too good to be true. And, you know, that, that whole story right there is too good to be true in most cases, but, uh, I'm sure there's a couple of people who've done it, but anyway, well, time, time to shift gears a little bit and we're going to bring Dan on the show. So Dan, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me, Brian. It's great to meet you too, Tim. Likewise. All right. Well, Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you into uh, real estate investing? Sure. So uh, I've had uh, a, a quite the unusual career myself, uh, changing a few times. I've been a teacher and whatnot. But uh, what brought me to real estate was my first... Uh, I, I always forget if it's mochrum or modicrum uh, of success, whatever the saying is. But um, uh, I got some sort of uh, level of success through technology because I worked for web.com. Uh, specifically, it was for OneShoppingCart.com, which is an e-commerce uh, marketing software that people use for their online businesses. And so I created an agency helping people integrate their website and later on, you know, do social media and whatnot 
and build that into an online funnel, whether it's lead capture or outreach or sales funnels, live event uh, sales funnels mm-hmm. and things like that. And um, basically, if you are an ambitious person and you know you keep on trying to make your way to higher earners and, and a better name for yourself, uh, all roads do lead to real estate. So uh, for me, that happened when uh, my biggest client, which was a single family uh, residential firm, uh, ended up uh, buying out all 40 of my hours every single week. And uh, that made me go, it's like, okay, well, how is he affording this? Like, how can he, how can he even do that? And so I learned as much as I could uh, about single family flipping and wholesaling and all that kind of stuff so that I felt confident that I'd be able to do it. But the disadvantage I had is I'm Mr. Remote. You know, like when I was running uh, that uh, Ohio firm for for a while, at least the digital side, I was doing that from Taiwan. So uh, if I'm not going to be physically ple- uh, present and I'm not going to be flying down there all the time, then spot checking a bunch of single family houses makes zero sense. So when I saw my boss making the move over to multifamily, mentioning that there's more money going around, so so basically we can hire the operators to make sure that somebody is is making it work, that's something that really uh, fits uh, my profile and, and my ambition and, and things like that. And uh, so I've been uh, doing all sorts of social media and content creation to make all that work, just like uh, you're describing, Tim. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you saw, saw your boss was making a lot of money from it and, you know, naturally you just started asking questions, your inquisitive mind, which I, I know you have a very inquisitive mind. You're just like, how are you doing this? How are you affording this? And multifamily was the answer. That's uh, that's great. So I, I know you're doing a lot from Taiwan, you know, and I think you may make a good point. That, that's a long plane, plane ride to check single family property. So, you know, where, where are you now and what's your, what's your, What's your plan for in investing here? Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, right now I'm up in Ottawa, Canada, and uh, uh, my my angle to get in is that uh, there's so much, you know, like Tim, you were mentioning about uh, the marketing problem in real estate, and me because uh, you know I studied electrical engineering. Uh, I think there's just a, a technology problem in real estate, full stop. So it's not even just marketing; it's uh, you know people running their entire business off of Excel sheets when a programmed solution will make it so that you know nobody you know deletes a formula in cell c6 or something like that and messes up everything for everybody and doesn't get diagnosed for months and months and months so uh, what i'm doing to get my foot in the door and co-gp with people is to help with those marketing services and the content creation but also uh create the sops and the you know standard operating procedures for uh, for for operations in general, whether it's uh, keeping track of maintenance inventory or whatever it is. Uh, basically, I want to make every job that usually takes a half an hour, an hour, an hour and a half, and either automate it or reduce it down to like five minutes, just so you can do more, including uh, the acquisition funnel itself and actually uh, underwriting deals and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Amazing. That's absolutely amazing. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of, I think you're absolutely right. You know, a lot of a lot of people in this industry are in the stone age, so to speak. You know, we are using the Excel spreadsheets, which, 
you know, very, very like 1990s type stuff. But um, I mean, Excel has been updated a couple of times since. Yes. But and there, there, there's still a lot of operators that are operating very low tech, you know, partially because they don't know. And partially because some of the tech solutions are a little more expensive than they can, they can justify. But uh, yeah, I think there, there's a lot of room for that, especially as we get into the future. And, you know, especially as, you know, the generation that is my children, you know, get to the scene because they're very tech savvy and they're, they're going to jump on that stuff. And I think they're, that's, that's one of the next revolutions in, in multifamily investing is, is the tech revolution. So mm-hmm. um, that said, Dan, we got Tim on the line here. What do you want to ask him? Well, I, I got a few things uh, that uh, that came to mind, and most of it is actually about uh, about firefighting. But uh, I'll start with uh, I want to hit on something you guys were talking about earlier about uh, the price of education and balancing that with the importance of it. And uh, the big one for me is my experience in Asia. Uh, one of the the nice parts of that is I was able to interact a lot with with different stratas of, of you know like basically wealth and uh, I was I was able to see it's like okay so what are these guys doing to ensure that their kids succeed and and one of the things they'll do is uh, like for example Taipei American School is just a normal average uh, English school you know elementary school high school all that kind of stuff uh, they use the American uh, curriculum they do have American uh, teachers and they're teaching all of it in English but it cost 40k uh, a year in uh, in tuition and and you know i when i was watching that when i found that out i'm going like how like what what did they expect this kid to do for a living that they're going to be making up that 40k per year deficit that they're they're doing from from age six to age 18 that a lot of people aren't and uh, and and now I'm pretty clear on the answer for that, which is just uh, uh, you know the parents are going. It's like, well, I can't I can't do it myself, and they know who you meet. You know, your network is your net worth. So you know, yes, they will absolutely get it, and I'm sure that real estate is going to be uh, a way that they uh, recoup it. But I, I guess now that I say it, that's more of a statement than a than a question. But uh, but what? So so uh, as far as questions go, in a place that's as densely populated as New York, like how many fires are there per week that your station would be responsible for? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's like feast or famine, right? I mean. Um... It could be zero for the week, or we could have, say, I don't know, eight or nine or 10 for the week, you know, I mean, so it's, um, it's really kind of up to anybody. But usually, I mean, I think we do about, uh, I don't know, 80 to 100 fires per year. Um, okay. So it's on the busier end of the spectrum as far as it goes for, for New York City. Um, mm-hmm. You know, luckily, these days, you know, there's fire protection systems, sprinklers, and uh, automatic fire alarms and everybody has a cell phone. So the minute somebody has a sniff of something, uh, you know, we're there in, you know, under four minutes. So, but I'm sure you see them on TV. Uh, you know, we, we get yeah. some pretty good ones, you know? Yeah. You yeah. Dramatic ones on TV. Right. Right. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, that, uh, that diehard movie with uh, Samuel L. Jackson in New York about how it's like, well, yeah, well, if everybody had a phone, it's everything would be different. But uh, how often uh, how often do these fires spread to multiple units, though? Because like that'll tell me like where we are technologically as far as like, you know, if, if one person burns dinner, the whole building doesn't go down. But how often is it like a multiple unit fire? 
Um, I mean, usually like we have a lot of like six story, six and seven story old brick buildings, you know, the cold tenement houses. And, you know, mostly they, they stay within that one apartment, but, you know, cause they have brick nogging in between the apartments and stuff like that, but there's they're all different types of buildings. Um, usually the fire and the heat goes up. So if there's a floor above, they're usually the ones that'll get the, the extension. Um, but you know, it all comes down to the, how fast you put water on that fire and New York city prides itself itself on an aggressive interior attack. So, you know, it's not for everybody, but when there's a fire to go put out, we go right to the seat of the fire and we go put that bad boy out, you know? Um, but you know, every once in a while it's hard, you know, I mean, there's people on top of people. So that means there's a lot of stuff everywhere. Sometimes our access and our egress is, you know, not, not ideal. I'll put it that way. Um, and then it just kind of, it takes off a fire will double, you know, uh, in size every, uh, every couple of minutes, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And, and going bigger to uh, to what you were mentioning before, uh, and so this is this is definitely uh, more of a personal thing for me because uh, you know I'm mentioning that uh, the way I'm getting my foot in the door in these deals is through marketing and and tech and streamlining as well as acquisition. There's one problem of if I'm helping acquisitions, then I can actually only help you know uh, what do you want to call it the, the the umbrella company rather than the LLC that's for for a particular property because uh, you know, like how, how do you justify that expense otherwise so so I think that um, investors are looking for partners really like if, if they were going to be as honest as they possibly could they're looking for people who will be there when the going gets tough and you were mentioning about uh, switching over to the world of Zoom. And I've been I've been working from home for, for 10 years now. So this stuff is as normal for me as it's ever going to get for anybody. But um, I think most people aren't used to gauging that level of commitment when you're interacting online. You're used to doing it in person. But I think that presents a unique challenge. Uh, and personally, I put a lot of faith in uh, what I hear other people say when they're not around me. In other words, like what I hear through the grapevine, I, I assume that they're probably telling me a little bit more truth than, than if I'm talking to them personally. But I hear that most KPs will require a financial commitment from everyone on the GP team. And, um, uh, and, and they're using it basically as a proxy, uh, as a proxy for demonstrating commitment. Um, what have you guys found about that? Because for me, it's like if I'm, if I'm looking to co-GP, uh, I'm concerned that people don't usually have a portion designated for, for that piece of the, of the deal, that piece of the puzzle, that promotion, that marketing and whatnot. So do you have any thoughts about that, guys? Yeah, I think it all just comes down to negotiation and there's a billion ways to set up any kind of uh, partnership, right? So, you know, commercial real estate and specifically multifamily um, is a team sport. There's no two ways about it. So there's a ton of people that have strengths and some people are better at other things and to some other people. Um, and I think once all that kind of comes together and you build out your team and then you'll hear every guru out there will talk about building a team. And it's true. It's just one of those things you have to have. With that being said, you know, I, I know somebody who is a, a marketing guru expert and she gets her GP by doing marketing and social media and automations and, you know, um, all that stuff. So I would just say that anything's negotiable within real estate. There's always a way to set up a partnership. Um, it's just, you know, what value I think, you know, is assigned to that kind of task. 
Uh, Brian, what do you have to say about that? You know, I'd say the same. It's all about adding value, you know, and whether whether you're financially involved or not, I, I don't think that it is an indicator of commitment. It's not the only indicator of commitment. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's ways to negotiate, you know, different slices of the pie, you know, based on um, how much value you bring to the table. End of the day, it's 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 a matter of can you provide value to the team? And if you can provide value to the team, you know, you're going to be able to negotiate a, a piece of, of the pie that works for you and works for, for the team. And, you know, KPs, you know, every KP has a different, different approach to how they're um, putting deals together and, and what they're requiring from, from the rest of the GP. And at the end of the day, you may find one that requires everybody to have skin in the game, but another one will have different requirements completely. So, just a matter of networking and finding finding the right group, the right team, and in, in your case, it would be you know several different sponsors that you could potentially work with. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. Thanks, guys. The only other things I wrote down were uh, were more uh, sentiments than anything else. You know, just okay. like talking about how like lockdown was just such a vastly different experience for me because I you know like working from home all the time. It meant that instead of going out three times a week, it dropped to two, and then it dropped to one. And yeah, it's right. Just, you know, it didn't really make that big of a difference. But uh, I felt horrible for everybody who was learning to work from home because like making an office that you're like a home office that you're actually comfortable with. That's really tough. That took a long time to start getting things where it's like everything's perfect and efficient and whatnot with three screens and yeah. all that stuff. And- and incidentally, uh, my my retirement gift to myself was my my home office. I got the little stand up, sit up, you know, sit down desk, push button, and there we go. So oh, I love that. Anyway, I... If you're watching on YouTube, you know, you just saw my desk go up. But uh, um, anyway, that said, you know, thanks. We'll wrap things up here. But uh, thanks, thanks guys for coming on the show. And um, Dan, I love the line of questioning. I actually talked to an insurance expert yesterday. And a lot of things that you're talking about with the fires specifically, you know, if you can nail a solution for that, you can really help insurance rates, which still hits the bottom line. You know, it definitely hits that bottom line. So anyway, that said, Tim, question for you and Dan, you're going to do the same question next. How can listeners learn more about you? Uh, well, number one, I just want to say I'm grateful for the opportunity, Brian, to come on to your show. And I hope that your listeners, uh, you know, gain some value out of this conversation. I know I sure had a, yeah, a great time. So, uh, but yeah, you guys can find me on my website. It's uh, citysidecap.com. And my email address is just simply tim at citysidecap.com. I was fortunate enough to be a co-author of a number one Amazon bestseller. So you can get a free copy uh, on the homepage of that website. All right. And we'll put links to your email address and your website in the show notes. So anybody who's interested, go straight down to the show notes, tap, swipe. You should be able to tap and and contact him or go straight to the website. Dan, same question for you. How can listeners learn more about you? All right. So the best places, especially if you are in commercial real estate, would be LinkedIn. Uh, Just finding my profile. Uh, I'm the only Dan Fradenberg, like pretty much on earth. So that (laughs) really, really helps. And uh, but uh, as far as uh, what I have on offer for people to check out, uh, if you if you look me up on YouTube, you're going to find 
a ton of content, uh, including the uh, dandasdeals.com uh, uh, videos and figure it out. You know, I got my book out there, all sorts of stuff. I got so many videos and things, and some of them are for, well, due to bad language and content. They, you could make an argument that they're 18 plus. <laughs> yep. Definitely. Definitely. I've, listened, I've listened to some of them and I mean, you've got uh, the figured out channel is, is pretty cool. So we'll put a link to that in the, in the show notes as well. And uh, um, anybody interested, definitely check it out. Look, uh, link up with him on LinkedIn and, and there we go. So once again, thank you to both of you guys for coming on the show today. I appreciate your time. And this was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.